cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, February 28th, 2012. And tomorrow's that mysterious weird day that only shows up about once every four years. The leap year, the 29th of February. Can't imagine kind of complications there must be when somebody has a baby on the 29th of February. I'm sorry, honey, I know you look like you're 12, but really you're only three. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. A lot of it has to do with the fact that people are approaching Scripture with their own set of presuppositions. You know, it's going to conform to me, yeah, but it doesn't go that way. Um, Our minds, our hearts are transformed and renewed uh, through Scripture, and what you find is that, well, you know, God, God kind of gives a, a concept here that my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Um, what you find when you look at humanity, when you look at your own life, in fact, you'll see that, well, you've got all kinds of problems, all kinds of serious problems. The things you want to do, well, you don't do so hot at, well, you don't do so well at doing them. The things you don't want to do, you do those pretty frequently. Um, you know, if you were to examine your life in light of the Ten Commandments, um, the things would not look so good. In fact, in, you ought to be examining your life in light of the Ten Commandments on a regular basis because it's going to show you, well, where you fall short. It's going to show you where you continue and persist to sin and rebel against God. But see, the solution then at that point is not just you jumping to, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, Baron Munchausen style, um, you know, or just, you know, apply myself to this and achieve a new habit, you know, and, and therefore I'm going to make myself pleasing to God. See, here's the deal. Um, you can't make yourself pleasing to God via the law until you live it perfectly. God's law demands perfect 
obedience. And chopping up into little pieces isn't going to help. You got to under, you know, I, I think a good way to view the law, as far as, you know, if you think of a metaphor, think of it as a China vase, okay, with different things written on, you know, different sides of it. And so when you break one of the commandments, you end up breaking the whole thing. Okay, and so many people think that somehow if they can just compartmentalize, you know, okay, you know, I let's break my life up into different. I've got my business life, I got my parenting life, I've got my student life, I've got my married life, I've got my, you know, and, and somehow, you know, okay, so if I apply myself to my married life, my business life, and uh, my parenting life, and 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 maybe my prayer life, and and. <laughs> You know that somehow you know you you can kind of get your moral boat to rise and and uh, to the level that that somehow then God looks down and goes, oh look, they've got their prayer life, their married life, and their business life all worked out, and uh, so I'm going to bless them. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Um, so yeah, because here's the deal: you can go back to that passage in the Epistle of James, and when you've broken one commandment. You're guilty of breaking them all. If you really, really, truly think that somehow God is going to bless your obedience, then understand this. You are not obedient until you stop sinning altogether. Oh, and by the way, um, sins occur in thought, in word, in deeds, by the things you do and by the things you don't do. You know, it's every now and then I I have the, I don't know if you want to call it pleasure, um, I have the <laughs> bizarre experience of talking with somebody who really truly thinks that they can convince me, oh yeah, it's been a couple weeks since I've sinned. Really? <laughs> Where's your spouse? Let's talk to him or her. You know, oh yeah, they're a saint. They walk on water. You know, no, you'll never get that. It just, it, I mean, seriously. Um, it, this runs counter to to Jesus's own teaching regarding how we pray. In fact, one of the um, one of the aspects of the Pelagian heresy was this idea that we're basically good people, okay, and that you can go for extended periods of time without sinning. And um, the early church fathers who fought against the Pelagian heresy pointed out that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, mm -hmm, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now watch this. Give us this day our daily bread and... Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. One sentence. Uh-huh. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. In other words, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, the idea was this. Daily, you are to pray to your heavenly Father, whose name is to be hallowed and holy, set apart, and daily you are to petition God to forgive you of your sins. Now, what happened is, is that the early church fathers, when they were fighting the Pelagian heresy, noted this particular aspect of the Lord's Prayer. The daily we are to petition God to forgive us of our sins. The Pelagians... <laughs> 
<laughs> had a clever uh, comeback to this. They said, well, when a Christian prays, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Uh, understand, they can go weeks, months, days, years without sinning. So when Jesus instructs his disciples to pray that way, he's not telling them to really ask God to forgive them their sins. Instead, that's just to keep them humble. That It's just a humble prayer, not because they need to be forgiven, but because by praying that it keeps them humble. That was their response. <laughs> and you, to which you should say, hmm, yeah, if you believe that, well, then I've got a bridge in New York. Oh, it's beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, it's in Brooklyn, and it, you know it connects Brooklyn to Manhattan. And I've got a bridge I would love to sell you. I can sell it to you for cheap. But uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's the idea. So if you think that somehow God is going to bless you because of your stark, naked obedience to him, mm-hmm, yeah, um, keep in mind, Jesus has instructed us to pray daily for God's forgiveness. Hmm. So does God bless us because we're sinless? No. we God blesses us because we are in Christ, and we are clothed with the perfect righteousness and sinless obedience of Jesus. Remember, on the cross, it says in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53 that God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can say God reckoned or God imputed to Christ, to Jesus himself, all of our sins. Plain and simple. Well, how did that happen? Jesus actually never committed a sin. Not even one. Not one sin from the moment he was conceived until he cried out, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit and breathed his last. Not one sin did Jesus commit. Yet God laid on him the iniquity of us all. The converse side of that is this, that God lays on us like a robe, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, imputed, reckoned to our accounts when we're brought to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. God reckons to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus as if we have lived a life of sinlessness, sinless obedience to Jesus. So if we're in Jesus, if we're truly trusting in Christ, God sees us as perfectly righteous in Christ. That would explain a lot then, that we do good works not because we have to in order to be blessed by God, no, Christians do good works because they are already blessed by God, because they are already declared innocent, declared righteous in him, forgiven, pardoned, free. Jesus says, the one who is forgiven much loves much. Not that the one who loves much is forgiven much. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the one who is forgiven much loves much. And that's what we truly all are in Jesus Christ, wretched and depraved sinners. Over... And again, if you were to examine your life in light of God's perfect commandments in the Ten Commandments, you would see that you really actually qualify as the chief of sinners, and so do I. So when Paul says that he's the chief of sinners, understand that if you were to examine your life, you'd realize that that's probably not the case. You are. I am. Together, we all are the chief of sinners. We deserve nothing from God. 
blessings, life, anything. The only thing we truly deserve from God is his wrath and eternal punishment. We don't deserve to breathe his air, to eat his food, to see his sun, to gaze at the stars that he's created, to do any of the wonderful things that we do here on this planet. All of that is a gift from God to undeserving and rebellious sinners who deny his existence, refuse to believe what he's said about himself, continually make up false gods, false doctrines, false piety, false worship, twist and mangle his word. We deserve nothing from God. And yet it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that he demonstrates for us on the cross. Because, you know, rarely would somebody die for a good person, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were all yet sinners, while all of us were still rebels against him, not one of us righteous, not one of us seeking him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. What a gracious and loving and kind and merciful God we have. Who doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to reach repentance and forgiveness of their sins. O Lord, if you kept a record of wrongs, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. We have good news to announce to the world, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not holding men's trespasses against him. God working then through us, through a ministry of reconciliation, God calling sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. There is no greater message, there is no better news on all of the earth that we sinful, wretched, depraved human beings who have rebelled against God and continue to do so daily and much in things that we do on purpose and just by some of the things we don't even know we're doing by sins of omission and commission, we actively rebel against God. And yet, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's trespasses against them. All of our sins were laid on Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed. God crushing him, giving him the punishment that we all deserved, so that in Christ... We can be the righteous, adopted children of God, free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil, and now set free to do good works, not because we earn brownie points from God or a part of our salvation that way, but because we have been saved. We are redeemed because we are forgiven. We are new creations in Christ because of this good news. And yet this very good news is the thing that doesn't get spoken about much anymore in Christian churches. They're off on tangents, twisting God's word, mangling it, making it about themselves rather than Jesus. And they're missing the best story ever told, the greatest news there is to announce. And as a result of their false gospels, their twisted scriptures, their false reading of the text, their narcissistical ways, they keep themselves and their hearers dead in their trespasses and sins. While the very good news that does save, 
that's right there in the text of this book that they claim they're reading goes unproclaimed, unpreached, unannounced, and completely missed. It's a sad, terrible tragedy. And this program tries to correct it. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I've got a Patricia King update. She's, you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Patricia King is the gift that keeps on giving. That's the only way I know how to point it out. So we're going to take a look at a devotional thought, insights, prophetic insights for 2012, uh, recently posted by Patricia King at her Extreme Prophetic website. We'll look at um, this one that she's talking about, something to do with um, honoring your, your parents and uh, why that's an important thing. I've got a news story about um, the uh, the world-renowned um, atheist, Richard Dawkins. Apparently he's not an atheist. Yeah, he, he, who knew? He's actually an agnostic. So we'll talk about that on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I've got a video that I would like to uh, play the audio for you to enjoy and uh, it's a song about tithing from Stevens Creek Church we're going to be uh, listening to their tithing song because it's chock full of bad theology and uh, and as a result of the bad theology in this tithing song entitled tithing and I know it uh, I've chosen to do a sermon review from Stevens Creek Church and uh, and the um, the name of the sermon is the me I want to be we'll be doing that in hour number two so uh, normal edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, all of the standard warnings apply, uh, tinfoil pyramid hats, uh, bendy straws, duct tape, duct tape and padding, all necessary, but uh, with that we're going to dive into the program proper, here we go. Okay, so Patricia King at Extreme Prophetic. Um, well, how do I put it nicely? Um, here's the best way to understand what to do with this video. Okay, pay real close attention to how she handles the biblical text. Your job is to make sure that you don't handle the biblical text in this way. And if you find somebody handling the biblical text in this way, understand that they're mishandling the, handling the biblical text and you ought to run and flee as quick as you can and make sure not to leave any money for these people because they will use that money to then continue to twist and mangle and miss the point of God's word in this way. <clears throat> Here's Patricia King. The Lord's been speaking to me about honoring mother and father. And he spoke to me uh, concerning 2012 for me personally. And he said... Now, I, I want to make something clear. Um, in the Ten Commandments, there is a commandment from God to honor your father and your mother. Hmm. Yet Patricia King here is saying that she, he, she's receiving a direct revelation from God, talking about the importance of honoring father and mother. Well, doesn't the Bible talk about this? Why do I need God talking to you in order to tell me about honoring father and mother? Hmm. Weird. In this year, I want you to honor your mothers and fathers in the faith, but also your natural mothers and fathers and just with deliberation, take time to bring honor. And um, it says, honor your father and your mother 
so that your days may be prolonged. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. In the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now watch what she does here. Now, the land that the Lord gives you is your land of promise. That's Really? I've got a land of promise just for me? No way. What he was speaking here uh, to, to Israel was concerning their land of promise. And so your land that God is giving you is your land of promises. So can I call my land pirate land? Yeah, that's what my my land of promise, I'm going to call it pirate land. And I'm going to have a water slide and I'm going to have a petting zoo and I'm going to have a really really scary pirate cave in my land of promise. Isn't it great that I have a land of promise? Didn't you always want a land of promise too? For Israel, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. A land without scarcity, a land where... Yeah, in my pirate land, I'm going to have a land of, of pirate doubloons and, and, and sailing ships and cannons and, yeah, and, and white sandy beaches and, and coconut trees. Where, you know, everything would be uh, taken care of, where their enemies would flee, where, where they would have peace in the land. And there would be swashbuckling and, and, and people saying, argh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do in my land of, my pirate land of promise. Oh, I can hardly wait. And so what God wants you to lay hold of is your land of promise. Yeah, I can already envision it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the vision here. A land of uh, happiness and joy in the family, peace in all your relationships, prosperity in everything. Yeah, doubloons and uh, Spanish galleons and yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. That pertains to you, abundance in all good things in life. Arr. That is your land. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> really? You got any Bible verses that say any of this in context? I mean, you're just allegorizing it. But one of the keys to enjoying a really good year in 2012 and to position yourself yeah, yeah. for the goodness of God. So to position myself for the goodness of God so I can experience my promised pirate land, I've got to do what? Is to honor your father and mother. Ah, okay. So do I need to, you know, give them a back rub? Um, what are the practical, tangible ways in which I can do this so that I can have my promised pirate land one of the things that i'm doing is just taking extra time to let my parents know how much i love them and uh, maybe okay so increased phone calls to my mom and dad got it and taking opportunity to publicly let people know the different graces that they have imparted to me maybe send some gifts at the beginning of the okay so how many gifts do i need to send to my parents before i earn the pirate land i mean one two I mean, is like, is it enough that, you know, like I give my parents gifts on their birthday, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, or do I have to kind of go above and beyond those standard things so that I can earn my promised pirate land? I'm curious, uh, how, how, how much do I need to honor them so that I can have my promised pirate land? I, I really, 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 really want my promised pirate land, and I want to make sure that I earn it. Uh, uh, and so... So how much honoring of my parents must I really do to know that I've done enough so that I've earned this from God? The year I, I uh, sent a financial gift to my mother is just something personal and special. Just so Okay, so when I send my mom her birthday card, slip five bucks into the card. Got it. In a way of honor.
of her, but also your spiritual mothers and fathers, those who have mentored you, those who have, have, have parented you. Okay, so make a list of all your spiritual parents too, got it? You know, just lay hold of ideas or creative ways that you can honor them. And so who has made the impact in your life? Who has nurtured you? Who has mothered you? Who has, who has um, uh, given you the nurture? Yeah. Or who are your spiritual fathers? You know, right, right. Identify them and take time this year to honor them. So send them cards with financial honoring contributions so that you can earn your promised land. See, my, my promised land is a, is a pirate land. So In special ways. You can honor them through your words, through your treatment of them, yeah, yeah. Uh, through gifts, through yeah. um, just you know making mention of them in, in, in honoring ways. So I would like to mention my uh, parents and I, just I, publicly here at Fighting for the Faith so that I can earn my promised pirate land. Hi, Mom! I mentioned you! Okay, check that off. All right, look at that. I'm, I'm closer to earning my promised pirate land now. You know, there's many ways that you can do it, and I know that God is going to speak to you. I know he's speaking to me. I don't think so, but okay. Regarding um, extra honor, because he wants to accelerate the blessings. Yeah, so God wants to accelerate, but he can't until you, until you, you know, meet the minimum threshold for blessing acceleration. Right, and that means you have to go above and beyond so that you can earn that blessing acceleration. Got it, okay. Of your promised land. He wants you to live long life in the land. If you will... Especially your promised pirate land, like me, you know. So honor in this year. It will make a difference for the rest of your life. You know, my husband and I live in so much blessing, and our ministry... I'm sure it's because of all the things that you've done to be obedient. Our team lives in so much blessing, sometimes we have to pinch ourselves. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, the, the prolonged blessing, the perpetual blessing realm, where it doesn't wane, where it continues to grow and increase, is dependent on how you honor your mothers and your fathers. Ah, so there you see, she got a direct word from God. Weird that that direct word from God actually is contradicted by something the Apostle Paul wrote in the um, book of Galatians. Weird. Um, yeah, in fact, if you have your Bible, um, yeah, let's see. Galatians chapter 3, oh, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So, so let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, like honor your father and mother, or by hearing with faith? The answer, by the way, that Paul's looking for there is hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, notice this, that just, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hmm. Can't add to that perfect righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. And yet, here's Patricia King trying to tell us that we got to earn our, you know, our special promised land. In my case, you know, a, a piratey type of uh, land, which I think is important. But, you know, kind of in that same vein, uh, Stevens Creek Church, who will be doing a sermon review uh, for uh, in hour number two, they've got an interesting video that they've recently put up for their current sermon series. 
And the name of it is Tithing and I Know It. Uh, see if you can catch uh, the false theology in this little gem. I write my check and the blessings flow. Mm-hmm. I tithe, not off the net, but off the gross. I write my check and the blessings flow. Let me come back to that verse again. Let's see here. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, if it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness. So know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify or declare righteous the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith." For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by everything written in the book of the law and continue to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. When I walk in the church, this is what I see. Everybody's ready for the offering. I put my money in the plate cause I ain't afraid to give it, give it, give it, give it. I'm diving and I know it. I give one tip and I keep the rest Before I pay the rent I give my tithe for it all gets spent Yeah, It's just how I roll I give my tithe cause I love the Lord We rush into the church, baby don't be nervous We'll still get there in time for service Just looking at Bible Just looking at Bible Just looking at Bible Live it out Just looking at Bible Just looking at Bible Just looking at Bible Live it out When I walk in the church this is what I see. Everybody's ready for the offering. I put my money in the plate cause I ain't afraid to give it, give it, give it, give it. 
That's right. Give your 10% and then the blessings will flow. That's works righteousness, not the righteousness that comes as a result of faith. Two completely different systems, and unfortunately it's sad to see this and hear this being taught by people who call themselves Christians. Oh foolish Americans, having begun in the spirit of you now trying to be perfected in the flesh. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today Keep more of your money in your pocket. 
Hi, Chris Rosebrough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Uh, Warning, Uh, keeping God's law will not save you. Um, No one is justified by keeping the law. Read your Bible. Romans and Galatians will be a good place to start. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. From the Mail Online, you can find this at dailymail.co.uk.com. This is a British uh, paper. Headline reads, I can't be sure God does not exist. World's most notorious atheist Richard Dawkins admits he is, in fact, an agnostic. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What's <clears throat> question? Um, Seriously, I mean... Would, I mean, wouldn't this be the equivalent of somebody saying, listen, you know, I'm tired of being a Christian apologist. I've decided that I'm going to embrace Chrislam, you know, both Christianity and Islam, you know, because I'm not sure which one's really I can't I can't figure out which one's right. So I'm just going to go with the the hybrid solution thing. You know, does God exist? Uh, well, it used to be for years and years and years. Uh, Richard Dawkins has made a career basically trying to prove that belief in God is irrational uh, and and you know, and that you know, he was part of the new atheists. Um, now the Hitchens is dead. Um, Dawkins is on his own, and now he's part of. Maybe this is a whole new move, the the new agnostic movement. Anyways, uh, the uh, this is by Susanna, uh, Susanna Hills of the uh, Mail Online. The um, she writes, Professor Richard Dawkins today dismissed his hard earned reputation as a militant atheist, admitting that he is actually agnostic, as he can't prove that God does not exist. Uh, yeah, how do you prove a negative? Um, the country's foremost champion of the Darwinist evol- of the Darwinist evolution, who wrote the God delusion, stunned audience members when he made the confession during a lively debate on the origins of the universe with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Professor Dawkins, the former Oxford professor 
for the public understanding of science is a dedicated admirer of Charles Darwin regarding the Victorian pioneer of evolution as the man who explained everything we know about life. But when Archbishop Dr. Rowan Williams suggested that Professor Darwin is often described as the world's most famous atheist, the geneticist responded, not by me, he said, on a scale of seven, where one means I know he exists and seven I know he does not exist, I call myself a six. <clears throat> Professor Dawkins went on to say he believed was a 6.9, stating, that doesn't mean I'm absolutely confident that I absolutely know, because I don't. The two high-profile profile figures were debating whether biblical writers got it wrong by not saying that the universe is billions of years old. The archbishop said the writers of the Bible, inspired as I believe they were, were not inspired to do 21st century physics. Uh, yeah, with a with friends like the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Rowan Williams, who needs enemies? Anyway, um, they were inspired to pass on to their readers what God wanted them to know in the First book of the Bible is the basic information. The universe depends on God. Humanity has a very distinctive role in the universe. Humanity has made rather a mess of it. Oh, that's kind of an understatement. Uh, but Professor Dawkins said he was baffled by the way sophisticated theologians who know Adam and Eve never existed still keep talking about it. So if you're a, if if you if you want to rise to the um, to uh, become a sophisticated theologian. You see, I'm I am like unsophisticated. I, I just like I'm I, if you want to be a rube like me, well then you believe that Adam and Eve existed, you know, because you know Jesus believed in them, you know, Paul writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit believed in them cuz God the Holy Spirit inspired Genesis to be written about them, uh, you know, and so, you know, if if but if if you want to be considered a sophisticated theologian, by the world-renowned agnostic, Professor <laughs> Dawkins. Well, all you gotta do is deny that Adam and Eve existed. Anyway, this latest admission by Professor Dawkins comes after he was uh, left lost for words, named the full title of his scientific hero's most famous work during a radio discussion last week in which he accused Christians of being ignorant of the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Um, kind of sad, but true. Um, I would probably, in fact, I would be willing to wager. You take um, Professor Richard Dawkins and your average member of Saddleback Church, Willow Creek, Perry Nobles Church, New Spring, or Elevation Church. You just throw all of the, you know, the members of uh, Saddleback, Willow Creek, uh, New Spring, and Elevation into a big bucket and just reach in and grab anybody randomly. Okay, I am willing to wager that the well-known, hard-boiled agnostic, uh, Professor Dawkins, has a um, a stunning command of Scripture compared to the average Christian at any of those churches. How much would you be willing to wager against me? You know, just saying. Let me read that again. The latest admission by Professor Dawkins comes after he was left lost for words Named the full title of his scientific hero's most famous work during a radio discussion last week in which he accused Christians of being ignorant of the Bible. In his frustration, he resorted to a helpless, oh, God. Wow. So there you go. Hard-boiled atheist. New atheist now. Uh, we can, uh, part of a new movement. You know, see, that's the thing. you got to reinvent yourself 
regularly nowadays. I mean, you know, what what got you to where you are today isn't going to be the thing that takes you to the next level. So you know, how do you move to the next level? Well, simple. You um, <clears throat> uh, you uh, you reinvent yourself. So if you're a hard-boiled atheist, now you reinvent yourself as a stunning agnostic. The uh, and go around telling everybody how ig- ignorant they are and and um, arrogant they are for saying that they're certain. It was it's far more humble to say that you just don't know. Yeah, postmodern atheism. It's just not as fun as the other kind. Yeah, that's right. It's time. <laughs> oh, time for a Keith Craft update from the Cathedral of Frisco, aka the Mariachi Trench. Yeah, that's right. These are the sounds of the Mariachi Trench. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to FightingForTheFate.com and in our search bar there, type in Mariachi Trench. This, uh, the Mariachi Trench is strongly associated with the number 11, which is the number for, well, all kinds of sorts of evil. Yeah, yeah, Mariachi Trench, the invention of Keith Kraft, the uh, the guy who's behind leadershipology and all kinds of really crazy, can't-understand type of statements that have something to do with leadership, sort of, kind of. But generally, he's the master of stringing together sentences that don't actually convey any coherent thought. And oddly enough, um, as a result of... His amazing ability to baffle and confuse and confound. The people at his church have blessed him with a mega church. And all the great dignitaries of the seeker driven uh, word faith movement came out to dedicate the Cathedral of Frisco, aka the Mariachi Trench. Yeah, we have audio highlights from a video. By the way, that's some pretty good music there. Anyway, so uh, here's uh, the uh, audio from the uh, Elevate Life Church recap of the dedication of the <laughs> Cathedral of Frisco, a.k.a. the Mariachi Trench, where Keith Kraft uh, holds court and baffles, confounds, and confuses everybody with non-coherent sentences and non-lucid thoughts, such as blue sleeps faster than th- Tuesday and the number 11 is evil along with the Mariachi Trench. Here's the... Um, <clears throat> Highlight audio from the dedication of his new cathedral. Let's go hang those jackets up. Okay, so Dallas Morning News, article. I love this. The point of celebration. The point of celebration. Yeah, he's pointing out the fact the newspapers covering the dedication of the Cathedral of Frisco, a.k.a. the Mariachi Trench. I just believe that your building is a new standard for the next generation. We wanted to create an experience for people. 
Yeah, we're going to create an experience. We can't create lucid thought, so we're going to create an experience instead. Pastor Keith Kreft said at Elevate Life Church's new cathedral. This building is a statement to the community. Now that's Steve Kelly of Wave Church, who we've featured here at Fighting for the Faith, chronic Bible twister and, uh, well, <clears throat> heretic regarding the doctrine of tithing. Community, this is a landmark. You're going to do amazing. That's Victoria Osteen. The young wife of Joel Osteen there to um, dedicate the Mariachi Trench. Things in this church. And may it for generations be a place that declares. Uh-huh, Mike Hayes. The good news of Jesus Christ. This place. Yeah, how can, how can the Cathedral of Frisco be a place that for years proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ? When Keith Craft is, well, a wolf and he habitually twists God's word and generally doesn't make any sense. Now that's Ed Young and his patent thing about a whole nother level. So Ed Young was there with Steve Kelly and Victoria and Joel Osteen dedicating the Mariachi Trench. Now listen to this. Thank you for not doing ordinary. Yeah, that's Kevin Gerald on the. Yeah, well, that's kind of interesting. Kevin Gerald under the same roof as Joel and Victoria Osteen. Kevin Gerald, who's made a career out of being a cheap, well, Rolex knockoff of Joel Osteen. Weird. Yeah, you know, makes you wonder, you know, because if you ever y'all seen the uh, Back to the Future movies and the, the you know where Doc says you don't want to run into your future self or your past self because it could create a disruption in the space time continuum. Boy, they took a risk there. I got to tell you. Not only did you just build a house, you built a standard that I don't think anyone has ever built to in the entire nation. This church does not have the marina mentality. Ed Young, this church does not have the marina mentality. Deep water Christians. Yeah, those deep water Christians can't have any of those. Yeah, the, you Christians out there who are into the deep water stuff, you know, deep theology, deep doctrine, sound doctrine, sound biblical, you know, like, you know, right, getting the message right kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you've got a marina mentality and you're a deep water Christian and that's a bad thing, apparently. They're tied up to the dock while drowning people without Jesus are sinking to the bottom. What you have done is... A oh, man, Rich Wilkerson. Mark for the glory of God. The glory of God is in this house. Bill Shear from Guts Church. Another word, faith, heretic. We just think the world of what God is doing. And Dino Rizzo. Man, this is a star-studded cast of heretics. Apparently, they, you know, the wolves run in packs. Who knew? Wolf packs. I never even heard of something like that. I hear your heart for people. This is just the beginning of what God wants to do. <laughs> Stovall Weems. I still every time I see him, I crack up his mishandling of the Noah story at the Code Orange <laughs> Heresy Olympics. And elevate life. This is just the beginning of what God wants to do. And that's a good investment. Come on, church. That's a good investment. I hope tonight you'll be inspired. There's Joel. <laughs> oh, man. Serious. I mean, folks, if you have anybody in, in and around the area of the Cathedral of Frisco, ankle tackle them if they even mention attending the Cathedral of Frisco to see what's going on down there. <laughs> Apparently, this is the cathedral that stands right over the opening to the you know, to hell itself. You don't want your friends 
you don't even want your enemies going there because they're going to end up, you know, going to hell. To say, hey, you know what? This is a place of destiny, and I'm a person of destiny. Yeah, I, this place. I'm a person of destiny. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That's all these teachers. That's all they ever teach about. We're not going anywhere. This is the house of the living God. And the battle lines have been drawn with every stone, timber, and beam that has been put in place. Whatever. This is the cathedral. This is the mariachi trench. A Frisco. God, you picked this place. You picked this place in this city. And God, you picked us to build you a house. And so, God, we just... Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Honor you in this house. We thank you that your promises are yea and amen. And you've chosen to use us for such a time as this to proclaim the name of the Lord in Frisco. Yeah, to proclaim false doctrine, narcissistic eisegesis, and, um, well, generally non-lucid statements that make no sense from the pit of the mariachi trench. In Texas, in America, and around the world. Come on! So there you go. The dedication of the Cathedral of Frisco. Star-studded cast of the world's most stunning and stark heretics, word faith teachers, and Bible twisters. <laughs> A.K.A. the Wolf Pack. There to dedicate their brand new cathedral. Yikes. Okay, we... <laughs> We are up on our second break, and when we come back, we've got uh, a sermon review uh, from Stevens Creek Church. I'll give you details on the other side of the break. They're new. They're going to be new in our sermon review rotation. I get the feeling they're going to be regulars. Uh, so if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Hour number two, sermon review time. Yeah, this is going to be a really bad law, no gospel type sermon. Pay attention to the quid pro quo expectations in this one. Here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Stevens Creek Church, Augusta, Georgia. Augusta, hmm. Home of Augusta National. The Masters. The name of the sermon is The Me I Want to Be. Hmm. Well, considering the fact that I'm the most important person that I know... This ought to be really interesting. The me I want to be. See if the cross, repentance, forgiveness of sins has anything to do with this, or if this is just homespun law kind of stuff. By the way, person presiding over the sermon is Dr. Marty Baker. And if you're saying, wait a second, the me I want to be, that sounds familiar. Right, yeah, it ought to, because it's based upon the Spiritual Disciplines book put out by Renovare, a.k.a. John Ortberg, disciple of Richard Foster and Dallas Willard. Those guys have repackaged Roman Catholic mysticism. Hmm, maybe one of the things we'll be able to say at the end of this thing is that, hmm, this sounds like, well, Roman Catholicism without the Pope. Maybe. We'll see. All right, let me kill the music. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Marty Baker, the me I want to be. We're going to talk about that. You know, are you the person that you really want to be? No, I, 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 I want to be somebody else. I think at various points in my life, I, I've struggled with this, you know, and I think all of us do. You know, when we're even going through elementary school, people would say, okay, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you say, oh, a policeman, a fireman, a teacher. By the way, this is a really bad way to start a Christian sermon in a Christian church. Why? Because we're not starting with a biblical text. Yeah, that's not good. No, no, no. You want to start with a biblical text because the job of the pastor is to preach the word and to exegete. <clears throat> Yeah, that's so, hmm, weird. We're not starting off with a biblical text here. Don't you remember when you were a kid and you wanted to be a firefighter or a policeman or a fighter pilot or things, something like that? Hmm, yeah. Or an IRS agent or something like that. Um, <clears throat> you know, not too many kids want to grow up to be an IRS agent, but you've got to be smart to do that. You've got to be smart to work for the government. How many government employees we got here? 
I'm telling you, y'all are smart. You know, most people with A's in college work for the government. Those people that make B's work for those that work sit make C's. Um, <clears throat> that is true. But anyway, you know, when you start thinking about what you want to do when you grow up, you know, how many of you knew what you wanted to do before you were 18 years old? Let me see your hands. Okay, I'm in that group. I, I knew at 13 that I wanted to be a pastor of a church. How many of you after 18 knew what you wanted to do? How many of you still don't know what you want to do? Uh, that's probably more like it, you know. Well, over the last several months, we've been having a lot of conversations at our house about career choices and jobs and so forth like that in college. Samuel is 18. He's graduating from high school in a few months, and he's preparing to go to college. And my kids have heard me say over and over, and you have too, you go to college to learn how to make money. Okay, if you cannot make money with your college degree, then you're not going to get that degree. At least not, I'm not going to pay for it. Okay, the degree I'm going to pay for is the degree that you can make money with. And then you can go back on your own and, you know, and get that art degree or, or whatever. Sociology, you know, the list goes on. Okay. But... Needless to say, we go through this every day, it seems like, we go to the mailbox and there is some type of mailer from some college or university saying, Samuel, come and visit our college, come to our college, great marketing tools, um, and you know, come give us your money. And so, <clears throat> most of those end up in the Not sure what this has to do with the Bible. In the trash because Samuel sound biblical doctrine, uh, biblical text. Samuel decided early where he wanted to go, and he's um, got an early acceptance to USC, and so it's kind of easy. <sighs> okay. Mm. Name dropping. Kind of easy for that. Did y'all see the bowl game this week? Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, I think back, though, when Sarah was going through this process, it was a much more in-depth process because we looked at every piece of mail, every opportunity that came through uh, to our house. I mean, uh, I'm telling you, I filled out the SAT forms. I filled out the ACT forms. I even filled out a couple of college applications for her. I mean, we were all about it, or I was all about it, okay? And so... I'll never forget, I filled out an application for her to go to Converse College, and I started talking to her about Converse. I said, she'd never heard of it. You know, I said, oh, it's a beautiful school, great campus. It's about two and a half hours from here. It's in the foothills of the mountains. And I filled out the college application. We got word from Converse that she is uh, going to get an academic scholarship. I thought, man, that was exciting. She was excited. And um, until a few days later, she comes into my office and she said, Dad, I am not going to an all-girls school. <laughs> I forgot to tell her that little piece of the puzzle. Just forgot it. Finally, Patty said, Marty, you're not going to college. She's going to college. You need to back off. So I did. But, you know, we go to college to prepare us uh, for what we want to do. Over the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about what you want to be. Hmm, yeah, what I want to be, yeah. Um, what does this have to do with the Bible? Sound biblical doctrine? Yeah. And there's a difference there. I mean, most of us spend a lot of time developing our skills for, for what we want to do. But we never invest the energy and the effort and the resources on becoming the person that we want to be. And so this 
uh, series is all about that. And I encourage you to pick up the book, The Me I Want to Be. And we're going to kind of delve into this and try to uh, ask God to speak to us and help shape us this year. Okay. Um, well, if you want God to speak to the people there, don't you think you might want to, you know, open up the Bible to like, you know, a book or a letter and, you know, just start reading and teaching us what God's word says in context might help. We want to go into 2012 with a passion to be the people, to be the church God has called us to be. So this series is about change. It's about becoming that person you were created to be. It's about spiritual growth. It's about developing our heart. You know, when I think about growth and change, I think about a lady named Susan Boyle. Maybe some of you have... What? Uh, yeah, we're all familiar with Susan Boyle. Um, huh. Remember her. No one knew about her a few years ago. She was that 47-year-old kind of frumpy village woman who showed up on the TV show Britain's Got Talent. Just want to let you all know, the Britain's Got Talent and the Susan Boyle story are not found in Scripture. This is really off to a bad start. Uh, I'll give you a chance to kind of recap her story and see what's happened. Many of you have seen this uh, on YouTube, but take a look at this. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, uh, where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of, it's a collection of uh, villages. I to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. Okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? Well, I've never been given the chance before, but he's hoping it'll change. I dreamed a dream in time gone by. Without a doubt, that was the biggest surprise I have had in three years. Yeah, imagine the surprise of seeing this in church as, as if somehow this has something to do with the Word of God. Weird. Because I know that everybody was against you. I honestly think that we were all being very cynical and I think that's the biggest wake-up call ever. And I just want to say that it was a complete privilege listening to that. It was instant brilliant. Susan Boyle, you can go back to the village with your head held high. It's three S's.
Now, I'm like you. I've seen that scores of times. But every time I see that, I'm still moved. I'm moved by her story, about her opportunity. I mean, she's had, and now she's, I mean, she was just a, a person. Do you really think the job of a pastor is to tell the Susan Boyle story or my story or your story or to tell the story of Jesus Christ? Since all the scripture is about Jesus, that's what Jesus said. Um, don't you think we're supposed to tell the Jesus story in church? I mean, granted, I mean, love the Susan Boyle story. It, yeah, it, it, it brought tears to my eyes the first time I heard or saw it. And, you know, got it, you know, shared it with people on, you know, they got to see this. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it was, oh, what fond memories I have. You know, sentimental about it. But, um, hmm. In church, the job of the pastor is to preach the Jesus story. Why are we not hearing that? That um, only sang to her cat, she said. But now she's an international star, had three hit records. And that uh, album, I Dreamed a Dream, remains the UK's best-selling album of all time, debut album of all time. It's amazing. Now, I was reading her story this past week. She's got a book out. And the neat thing about her story is not that Susan Boyle found fame, but she found herself. I think that's the interesting thing because no doubt... Okay, now I'm going to point this out. <clears throat> so the, the quintessential example of the me I want to be is the Susan Boyle story. She found herself. That's why he's playing her video. That's why we're reviewing this because... She is the ultimate example of the person who found themselves, the me I want to be. Now, here's the question I'm going to ask right up front. Pay close attention to the steps that are necessary for you to be the you you want to be or the me I want to be, however you want to talk about it. But uh, for you to be the me I want to be, ask yourself these questions. Did Susan Boyle go through all of those steps so that she could be the me that she wanted to be? Yeah, just keep that question tucked away, you know, kind of in the front of your mind there. And, you know, since she's being held up as the example, the person who found herself, she became the me she wanted to be. Did she go through all these steps that uh, that uh, Dr. Baker here is going to be giving? Listen in. Now, when she opens her mouth, you can say that, wow, God made her to sing. What did God make you to do? What kind of talents and what kind of abilities do you... God made me to critique sermons, and he made me the best sermon critiquer ever of all time. You have lockdown inside of you. Here's what I know. That there's nobody in the world just like you. That when God made you, he threw out the mold. That you're a unique individual. You're created uh, with talents and abilities. God made you special. Hmm. And one of the things I find interesting about this kind of talk is the thing that's, well, left out is the problem of our fallen and sinful humanity. Oh, God made me special. Wow. So that's my problem. I just didn't realize how special I was. That's how people will end up, well, thinking about this. And so what are you doing to become that person that you were created to be? Mm, yeah, what are you see see here see that's the this is what Christianity has to offer the world. 
There's just billions of people running around not realizing what God made them to be. They're special in his eyes. He created them with a unique talent, their purpose, if you can think of it that way. And they're just running around in life not knowing what their purpose is, and they haven't found it. They haven't found the real them or the real you or the real me inside of them. And and, and so your job is you've got to take steps so that you can be that special person that God made you to be. See, it's all about you. Uh-huh. Notice what's missing at this point? A biblical text. We're starting with a theology that doesn't have its origin in a clear passage of Scripture. This is a problem. I want to talk about that over the next several weeks. And I just want to help you to, to think about that and understand that God has a plan for your life and God wants to expand your vision about the me that you were created to be. Really, you got a single verse that said God, God wants to expand my vision about the me I want to be. You got a verse that says that. Can you point me to any of the sermons from the ancient church fathers that taught this doctrine? Hmm? A systematic theology? A confession? Where? I mean, this is completely alien to scriptures and the entire history of the Christian church. This is a new and unique and, well, I'm sorry, exotic heretical teaching. This is not grounded in what God's word says. Because you see, some of you have been locked into a pattern of thinking where... You never can envision yourself being any different than you are now. But I believe through the power of God and his spirit that you can become that person that you were destined to become, that you were created to become. Just like Susan Boyle, I can go on America's Got Talent and share with the world the me inside of me that I've always wanted to be. Oh, this is so... So flattering. I I like this God. This God. This God's for me. Wow. He wants me to be famous. So how do we make that step? How do we take that step? How do we do that? Well, I want to give you three things today. Very simple. Okay, so here's the three things that you've got to do to be the me that you always wanted to be. So ask yourself this question. These three things. Did Susan Boyle have to do these? Because you see, I think it's all about getting in the center of God's will for your life. It's all about coming into that place, that sweet spot where God's presence comes upon you and you receive the energy to be that person that you were created to be. Mm. Uh, can you uh, point to me to all the biblical passages that talk about finding that sweet spot so that I could be the me I always wanted to be? You know, just none, of, none of the verses come to mind. It's weird. Well... When we think about that, there's three things. First of all, I think we find that sweet spot. We find that place when we come to a place of surrender. Mm, yeah, I think we find that place when we come to a place of surrender. Okay, um, that's great. Um, I think we come to that place when we come to a place of surrender. Notice the words there. I think, I think, hmm, 
That's opinion. Hmm. That's human speculation. Hmm. This is not biblical revelation. I think it happens when you find the, well, I don't know, when you when you find yard gnomes, you know, dancing in, in the streets. I mean, that's when I think you find it. Um, I think, mm-mm, yeah, that's the bad, bad, bad. Yeah, the job of a pastor is not to preach what he thinks. Sorry. Job of a pastor is to preach the word. He's supposed to preach and teach what God has revealed, what God thinks. Not human speculation, not human ideas or philosophies or anything like that. No, in church, we learn what God thinks. Not what I think, not what you think, not what the pastor thinks. So, yeah, we got a problem here because apparently he's preaching what he thinks. I think we find it when we come to the place of surrender. Mm, Okay, I'm glad you think that, pastor, but mm, I don't see any verses that say that. So my challenge to you today is to to make a decision to completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's an easy thing to do. To completely surrender. Wave a white flag or something, you know, sign a peace treaty. God's called you to give yourself fully to him. Mm, Yeah, like that's easy to do. Notice this is obedience law talk. Where's the gospel here? Mm, I don't know if it's going to show up or not. Surrender. You know, it, okay, I'm, I surrender. I, I give in. Uh, it, it's coming to a place where you're saying, God, it's not my will, but your will will be done. This is the Yeah, that's kind of interesting because Jesus said those words. Not my will, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. Remember where he said that? That's right, Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed. This is Thursday night before Good Friday. He's sweating drops of blood, knowing that he's going to go to the cross. Lord... If it's possible, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, on the evening before he was going to be crucified, says, not my will, your will be done to the Father, right? Hmm, Doesn't he didn't mention anything about Jesus there. It's just you need to surrender and have this, you know, the same thing. Hmm. The message of Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. It says, Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, huh? Hang on a second here. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> By the way, there, yeah, let's put this in context. Three biblical rules for sound biblical interpretation. Context, context, context. Trust me when I tell you. 90 to 95% of all Bible twisting gets cleared up just like that. I mean, serious, when you put the verse back in context. Because I seem to recall something about the book of Romans being about, well, the gospel, especially in the opening chapters. Um, So let's put some context on this. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to put context on this by going to Romans chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 6, and we're going to read a lot of the context of this passage to see if Romans chapter 6, verse 13 says you need to submit so that you can get in the sweet spot so that you can be the me you wanted to be. Let's see if Romans chapter 6, 13 says this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified or declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Notice here, Romans 5 verse 12 doesn't say anything about God made you you know, this amazing masterpiece. You need to discover the me that you've always wanted to be. No, it says that sin came into the world through one man. That would be Adam. And death as a result of it. See, our big problem is our sin and the consequences of our sin. Temporal and eternal death, right? So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, if one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to life for all men." For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certain, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to just point something out here. I'm not to verse 13 yet, but you're going to notice here 
This is talking about Christian sanctification, and you cannot discuss Christian sanctification apart from Christ, his death, and his resurrection, and us being baptized into him, right? This is what Romans 6 is saying, okay? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. So if we're going to talk about Christian sanctification, which, by the way, I think calling it the me I have always wanted to be is a miserable way of discussing Christian sanctification, because that somehow implies that in our in being dead in trespasses and sins, that somehow we long to be righteous, that we long to be sinless, that we long to do the right things. That is not what Scripture reveals about us who are fallen and dead in trespasses and sins. Even Christians struggle with their sinful natures until Christ returns or until they go to heaven to be with him after they die. You get what I'm saying? So here, the idea here is is that sin is death. Sin is slavery. Sin is something that keeps you in bondage, but we're set free in Christ, set free from bondage to sin, to death, and the devil, set free in Christ to do good works, okay? And describing it as the me I want to be, yeah, that's not a good way to talk about Christian sanctification. That's not even a good way to describe it. That's really steeped in narcissism as if somehow the me I've always longed to be is what it means to be Christ-like. That's not what that means at all. But let me continue. Uh, Verse 11 again. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now it's important to note here that Dr. Baker quoted only part of this verse. And this is part of a long discussion that Paul's having. So don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Why? Because you are you are in Christ. You've been buried with him and raised with him. So don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. You know, you consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Notice he left out the do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. This is a vital verse, though. Sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Now let me back up the audio just a little bit, because I want you to hear what he's doing here. He's going to be ripping a whole bunch of verses out of context in order to weave together these three steps that you need to do in order to be the me that you've always wanted to be. And the first one he thinks, the first step he thinks, he speculates that the first step to being the me that you've always wanted to be is you you got to submit, you know, surrender, surrender to God. But Mm-hmm. He rips Romans 6.13 out of context in the process of teaching this. Let me back this up. Listen in. I think we find that sweet spot. We find that place when we come to a place of surrender. 
So my challenge to you today is to, to make a decision to completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To completely surrender. God's called you to give yourself fully to him. Surrender. You know, it's coming to a place where you're saying, God, it's not my will, but your will be done. This is the message of Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. It says, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your... Yeah, again, he's quoting half the verse, missing the whole part about sin. Weird, isn't it? ...whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Give your whole life to him. That we need to come to the place where we say, God, take me, mold me, lead me, guide me into the very place that you would have me to be. I give my life completely to you. We talk about surrender a lot around here. But so often we speak about surrender at the conclusion of a service when we're asking people to make a decision to follow Jesus. But at this moment, I am talking about a whole life surrender. Because if you're like me, you can compartmentalize your life. Because you see, sometimes I look at my life as like a pie chart. I have a section over here, and this is my uh, family life. This is my career life. This is my recreational life. This is my spiritual life. And I have all these compartments, and they're all put together. But that's not how God wants it to work. God wants to be a part of every section, every piece of the pie. God doesn't want to be just compartmentalized to an experience that you have on Sunday or a Wednesday evening. God wants to be a part of your life as you go through Monday, Tuesday, and the rest of the week. Actually, the commandment is you will have no other gods before me. That's the, the commandment. I don't think you're quite getting to the heart of that one. God wants to be the central focus of your life. God wants to be number one. We see in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one... Notice Matthew 6 and 24. He's now ripping another verse out of context. Matthew 6, uh-huh, that's the Sermon on the Mount. He's just borrowing a sentence out of context to weave together this theology that he thinks will help you achieve the objective of being the me I want to be. So I'm going to grab a verse here, a sentence there, a half a verse there, and throw it into the pot, and poof, you, all you got to do is apply these principles, all of them ripped out of context, and then you can become the me that you've always longed to be. Hmm. Isn't it weird that the Bible doesn't have a category of doctrine called the me I've always wanted to be? It's not a clear teaching from the text. That should alert you to something. And love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. This verse is about priorities. And Jesus is... Oh, yeah, it certainly is. And uh, that's what the commandment about not having any other gods is all about, priorities. And see, that's the problem with sinful humanity, is that sinful humanity is, well, an idol factory, constantly making God God's good gifts into idols and exalting them to the status of our gods, the place, the thing that which we go to comfort us in time of trouble and need. Saying simply, you cannot have two number one priorities. Yeah, so by preaching this, you've just condemned everybody in the congregation, including yourself. What's going to be the solution for that?
just surrender? How about the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross? God wants you simply to surrender, uh, to surrender and to prioritize your... No, he wants you to repent and be forgiven for your idolatry. There's a big difference between those two concepts. Your life around him. Now, this really sounds pretty good. You know, this is kind of what you would expect me to say on really the first full sun, uh, week of New Year's. But this is more than just a Sunday morning talk. This is about tomorrow morning when you head into the school. This is about tomorrow morning when you go to work. This is about tomorrow when you uh, start to deal uh, with your children throughout the day. That you come to the place where you say, God, I want you to have control of my life. I want to surrender my life to you. Because you, if you're not careful, you can be like me, that we'll go through tomorrow and little by little we'll edge God out of our lives. We'll edge God out of this situation. I mean, if we're not careful, our work can push God out. Of if we're not careful, that's our default setting as sinners. What are you talking about? Out of first place in our lives, and we put our work as number one. Or maybe a relationship can push God out of first place. Or maybe an activity, or making money, or hanging out, or whatever it is can push God out. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of these things. I mean, they're all good. In fact, God blesses all of them. And God approves of all of them. He just wants to be number one. God wants to be number one in your life. That's the message of, of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you as well. Put God first in your life. Put God first in your life. Yeah, like that's really easy to do since I'm have a sinful nature that is at war with God. Yeah, that's just put God first in your life. Come on, dead sinner, raise yourself. And I think when you do that, he'll take care of everything else. I think when you do that, then he'll take care of everything else. I think. Hmm. Not a passage that says that when you do that, but I think that when you do that, he'll take care of everything else. Boy, I hope you're right on that one, Pastor. I, I hope what you're thinking is correct. Can we find some Bible verses that say that so that I can be sure? Look at the words of the Proverbs, chapter 3 and verse 6. He said, in everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Yep, and keep in mind the Proverbs, the key ingredient to that is the, uh, is the beginning of the Proverbs. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In order to fear God, that means you must first understand what it means to be brought to repentance and faith in him because the Proverbs really is all about Christian sanctification. And without the fear of God, yeah, you're not going to get it because that would be like basically practicing works righteousness, not understanding that our good works flow from our new cre the, the new nature that's created in Christ. It is given to us by grace through faith as a gift. I don't know of anybody here in this room or in our video overflow that doesn't want to be successful. And here God is saying, if you want to be successful, here's the secret, put him first. If you want to be successful, here's the secret, put him first. Hmm. So did Susan Boyle put God first? Uh, last time I checked, she's a practicing Roman Catholic. Is that the reason why she was successful on, a, on Great Britain's Got Talent? Because she put God first? That was the secret to her being successful? 
So do you want a successful marriage? Put God first. Do you want a successful career? Put God first in your career. Do you want a successful... And when your career hits a dead end and when things don't go very well and you're not successful, um, well, then there's only one reason why logically that's the case. It's because you're just, you haven't put God first enough. You haven't been obedient. See, and, and therefore you're just not worthy. This is a formula for disaster. Disaster. Family, put God first in your family. You want a successful uh, school experience? Put God first in your education. Here's the truth of the matter. God does not bless what he's not number one in. But God bless... Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how did Tiger Woods become the, the number one golfer in the world for so long? He was a practicing Buddhist. He never put God first. Blesses in amazing ways anything that we will put him first. I just challenge you that we come to a place where we say, God, I am surrendering to you. This year, as we embrace this new year, we're going to pray this simple prayer. God, have your way in my life. Have your way. As you get up tomorrow, the very first thing I want you to say, God, I give you this day. I surrender to you. Have your way in my life. Have your way. And if we can come to a place where we seek God's direction and God's will, and we can truly say, have your way in my life, we're well on our way of becoming that me that we were intended to be, becoming that... Yeah, this is all law talk. Where's the gospel? What would you do with Jesus and him crucified for our sins? Does that have anything to do with sanctification at all? I mean, when I read Romans 6, you know, starting at chapter 5 in context there, it, it seems like Christian sanctification totally depends and hinges on Christ, him dead and crucified and raised again. Weird that you're not mentioning any of that, and that when you quoted Romans 6, 13, you only quoted half the verse and left out the sin part. Weird. Person that God wants us to be, that we say, okay, God, lead me. Have your way in my life. We're talking about getting in the center of God's will for all. We're talking about getting in the place of the... Yeah, can you point me out all those passages that talk about the center of God's will? Um, Yeah, verses would be nice here. Flow of God. You see, there's an energy that God has. There's a spirit that God has released upon us. It's the Holy Spirit. And God wants to release his presence in you. Mm, Great. Um... Where does the scripture say that again? That God, there's a flow and God wants to release. If he wants to release his spirit on me, don't you think he could do that? Because he's God, you know? So many times we say, oh God, will you bless this? Will you bless my, this over here? Will you bless this? And all those are nice, good prayers. But what if you prayed this and said, God, what are you blessing? Huh? And then go get underneath what he is already blessing. What are you talking about? Um, I mean, seriously, have you been taking bong hits with Cheech and Chong? Where on earth in the Bible does it say that we got to go find what God is blessing and then get under it? Huh? What are you doing, God? What are you blessing? And say, God, I want to get right under the flow. I want to get right under the flow of your spirit. And I want your energy to flow through me. Um, this sounds like Star Wars theology, like the Force. 
This is not no. This is not a wild new age concept. Yes, it is because it ain't a biblical one. You haven't shown me this from the biblical text. This is not a, a positive mental attitude concept. This is a place where we can be filled up with the presence of an active God, and we can walk out of here with a new energy and a new life because God is living on the inside of us. Uh huh. Um, again, you're just kind of teaching stuff that's coming out of you. I'm not seeing much of as far as sound, biblical, expositional, exegetical teaching going on here. Don't you think that's just bizarre? So it takes us to the place, the second point. We said, first of all, we're going to come to a place of surrender. Secondly, we want to just create a space for God to fill. Mm, yeah. So the first thing he thinks that you got to do in order to be the me that you wanted to be is you need to surrender. Second, you need to create a space for God to fill. Okay, here we go again. Um, do I need to clean off my desk? How big of a space does he need? Does he need something the size of a closet, a bedroom, a spare room, maybe the whole downstairs? How big of a space does God need for me to clear so that he can fill it up? And where's this taught in the scriptures again? These three points, a surrender, make a space, and whatever the next one's going to be. And did Susan, Susan Boyle do all of these things? Did she you know, surrender to God and then make a space for him you know, so that he can fill it? I mean, did she do all that? You know, I think there are times in my life when I say, oh, God, and I pray this prayer. Oh, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I feel like God would say to me, he said, Marty, it's hard to fill you with the Holy Spirit when you're so full of yourself. Uh, uh, so now God talks to you directly. H have you met Patricia King, by the way? And maybe he would say that to you, too. Because it is. It's hard for him to fill you up with the Holy Spirit when you are so full of yourself. And Isn't that repentance and the forgiveness of sins is all about? And so if we are ever going to be filled with this presence and this energy, we've got to come to a place where we create a space for God to fill. We create, we get the junk out of our lives. We get all that junk, all that poison, all those, um, that attitude and all that. We, we empty it. We confess it. We get it out and say, okay, God, I am humbling myself before you. I need a strength. I need a power that's greater than myself. I need to be filled up. Yeah, I need the force so that I can, you know, take my X-Wing fighter and blow up the Death Star. Yeah, I need to be filled up with that force thing so that, you know, I can accomplish the, the, the you know, and be the me I've always wanted to be. But before we can be filled up, we've got to be emptied. We've got to be it. So, so many of us, we go through life, and it seems like that those things, uh, there are things that just junk us up. I mean, we just got too much junk yeah, like false teaching based on human speculation rather than what the Bible actually says in context. In our lives, we've got to get the junk out. It's like we're carrying things that just hold us back to uh, the way us down. Some of you, it seems like that you take two steps forward, but yet you end up taking three steps backwards. It seems like that you're at the same place right now that you were this time last year. What is up with that? Could it be that you have been weighted down with things that are holding you back, and God's ready to set you free. Yeah, hopefully God's ready to set the people free there um, from the false teaching being taught from the pulpit. In fact, this is the message of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sins that so easily trips us up.
Yeah. Um, could you talk about sins in light of the cross, please? And stop quoting verses and sentences out of context. This is not a coherent biblical teaching that you're giving us. And let us run with endurance. Let us run with patience the race that he has set before us. This is like fortune cookie preaching. I mean, just, you know, grab a fortune cookie, you know, crack it open and, you know, preach the sentence there in the fortune cookie. So we see here there are two things that, that slow us down. There are two things. First of all, there's sins. I think all of us understand that. We know, understand what a sin is. But what's up with the weights? What are the weights? Weights can be good things. Good things that slow you down, that hold you back from having uh, the best life possible. Because you see... Yeah, you got to get rid of those things that are holding you back from having the best life possible. Wow. If this isn't the definition of narcissism, I don't know what is. A lot of you are involved in a lot of good things, but those good things are keeping you from God's best in your life. So it's a weight. No weight could be a relationship. You know, you got this relationship over here. It's a good relationship, but honestly, it's just holding you back from being the person God's created you to be. Yeah. Honey, I'm sorry. You know, I love you. You're a great gal and all, but... This relationship is holding me back from being the me I've always wanted to be. So, uh, yeah, I got to cut the weight, the dead weight off, and you've got to go because you're holding me back. Can you, like, lose my number and don't call me anymore and don't even email me because, you know, I've got bigger and better things I need to do in my life, and you're just the big weight around my neck. Yeah, try that one out, you know, with your significant other. See how that one goes. It's like you're just dragging this person around everywhere you go. And that person is holding you back. It's a weight. A weight can be a job. The job's a good job, but that job is keeping you from the calling that God's placed on your life. That yeah, you know, I'm sick and tired of working in this mailroom. Now, I understand that I'm only 19 years old, but God's called me to be the CEO of this organization. And working in the mailroom is not helping me achieve the my God-given potential you know, so that I can be the me I've always wanted to be. So I, I'm quitting my job. I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay my bills um, or anything like that. But listen, I've got bigger and better things to be doing here than opening mail and working you know, for such pittance that you're paying me. God's called me to be something greater, and I've got to achieve that. So take this job and stick it where the sun don't shine. Okay. This is the practical application of all the things I'm hearing preached here. That job is keeping you from being that person that you were created to be. Could be an activity. Could be an expectation. Could be a fear. Whatever. Uh, it's these things are, are holding you back. And you've got to understand that these things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. If you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to come to the place where you say no. Now, notice, if you want to grow spiritually, how's that defined? Well, having the life of your dreams, um, you know, achieving your, you know, your significant purpose, not being held back, having the best life possible now. That's, well, how you measure whether or not you're having success in your spiritual growth. Huh. I'm not hearing anything about the fruits of the Spirit at all. No, this is just pure narcissism. ...to certain things in order that you can say yes to better things. You've got to say no to some things in order to say yes to others. 
And so we come to the place where we're going to create a space. We're going to get the junk out of our We're going to create a space so that we say, God, I want you to fill me up with your presence. I want you to come and let your energy flow through me. Some of you are living your Your energy flow through me. That's, that's, that's what uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi told Luke Skywalker. Feel the force flowing within you. Uh-huh. This isn't Christianity. This is something way different life with the arm of the flesh and you're trying to make everything happen and you fall in bed every night worn out and God is saying you're trying to do your life on your own in your own power there is a power available to you a power that's greater than yourself it's the power of the Holy Spirit and you need to come to the place yeah and the Holy Spirit here is being described as well like the force We'll never get it out now. So certain are you. Always with you, what cannot be done. Do you nothing that I say? Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, why not? Do or do not. There is no try. sound about the same to me where you open up your heart and say god fill me god fill me some of you have been born again and you've been baptized and right after you're born again and baptized you started working uh, your spiritual life with the arm of the flesh and the spirit of the lord would say to you there's an energy and there's a power and it comes from on high and you need to open up your life to that uh, that holy spirit power because god wants to pour it out in your life So we're talking about becoming that person that we've been created, that me that we're 
intended to be. John, Yeah, it's weird, though. You can't find a Bible passage that says, in order to become the me that you've always wanted to be, first surrender, then to make a space so that God can fill it. Weird that this isn't taught anywhere in Scripture. John Ortberg talks a lot about the flow. He's talking about the flow of God. Like the force, right? Yeah. I want to get in that. Yeah, John Ortberg, by the way, is not a biblical author, if, in case you were confused. That flow. I said three things. One, we're going to surrender. Number two, we're going to create space for God to move. Number three is we're going to be intentional. We're going to draw near to God. Mm, Yeah, so we're going to be intentional. So the three steps to being the me that you've always wanted to be, first, surrender, two, make space, and three, be intentional. Don't you think if this is what the Bible taught, it would say it, using those three steps and clearly lay them out? How come you've discovered these but nobody else has? We're going to draw near, and this is the message of, of James chapter 4 and verse 8. It said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. We're going to come and we're going to ch- Yeah, we're just going to rip a sentence out of context and weave an entire theology about it. Mm-hmm. Chase after God. We're going to run after God. We're going to be intentional this year. We're going to run after God and we're going to draw near to him through prayer and fasting. If you've been around Stevens Creek very long, you know that this is a part of what we do every January. Every January, we set aside 21 days of prayer and fasting because it's all about committing this year to the Lord. We want to give God the first month of the, of the year. This is just how we think. This is what we feel like Scripture teaches, that we give God the first day of the week. We're here on Sundays. We give God the first part of our day. We want to open up our day with prayer. We give God the first part of our pay. We set aside the first 10%. We want to give... Yeah, we saw your video. You know, just write the check and the blessings will flow. Uh-huh. Give God the first month of our year. Because we believe whatever we give God first... Because we believe, we think, uh-huh. That he will bless the rest. And if we can come into this year with an attitude that we're going to seek God, we're going to get the junk out, and we're going to uh, prioritize our life about around those things that are important, that we feel like the rest of the year... We feel like. Uh-huh. Notice that nothing in this sermon is based upon an in-context passage. It's just sentence here, half a sentence there, all woven together into these three steps. Surrender, make space, and be intentional. Mm-hmm. There's the secret formula. We'll be blessed. Prayer. It's important. It's a conversation between you and God. But it's- Yes, and the Bible talks a lot about prayer. I think we should go to clear passages and discuss it from those passages in context, don't you? more than any other single activity, I think prayer is that very activity It places us in the center of the flow of God. When we pray... Yeah, I think. I think that prayer places us in the center of the flow of God. Great, yeah. Um, okay, that's a nice thought. That, that's, that, I, it's sure to sound religious and pious and all, but do you got any verses that say that prayer puts us in the center of the flow of whatever? Anything like that? Just, you know, come on. In context, you can do it, Pastor. Your job is to preach the word. Come on. Hearts get convicted. 
Sin gets confessed. When we pray, believers get united. Intentions get encouraged. People receive guidance. When, you, when we pray, the church is strengthened. When we pray, uh, faith is renewed. Hope is restored. Love is multiplied. When we pray, the very presence of God comes and moves in our hearts. And the Yankees win the World Series and moves in this church. And it's my desire that Stevens Creek Church would be known more in this community for our prayers than we would be known for our programs. Mm, don't you think that your church would be known for the Jesus you preach? You know, just saying, you know. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not hearing anything about Jesus here. Whoops. <laughs> Forgive me for thinking the church is about him and telling his story. That when people think about Stevens Creek, that they're not thinking about just the great children's programs we have or the youth programs or the music programs, but they think, now that's a group of people that knows how to touch God. That's a group of people that knows how to pray. That's a peop group of people. You know how to touch God? Wow, that's impressive. I I'd like to see that. Has something different. I can't really put my finger on it, but it's something different. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've walked into this room today, and maybe this is your first time at the creek. And you, you said, man, this is kind of different for church. This is not what I... Yeah, the first time at the creek, up the creek without a paddle even, you know. I'm used to. Well, here's the bottom line. We believe that God is active, and we believe that God is busy at work in his church and in this community, and we want to get in the very flow and say, God, let it start right here. Let this be a year of change. Let this year be a year of renewal, and God, let it start right here in me. And so we're going to commit. We're going to pray. So how are we going to do this? Beginning tomorrow for the next 21 days, we, I'm just calling you to pray. I'm calling you to pray. I'm calling you to pray, to carve out time in your day to talk to the Lord. And, and, and you know what, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Baker, I'm calling you out, man, to uh, actually study God's Word and to preach the biblical text in context. I'm calling you out to spend time in the commentaries and the biblical languages and actually preach from entire text and rightly handle God's Word. I'm calling you to do that. Intentional times to connect with God. We're going to take the second step tomorrow morning. We're going to have the, the auditorium open at 6 a.m. And for those of you that are headed to work, I want you to pull off into here. There'll be quiet music playing. There'll be a time, and maybe you have 10 minutes that you come in here and you uh, order your, your day in prayer. Maybe it's 15. Maybe you can stay the whole hour. At 7 o'clock, we're going to join together with a group, and we're going to have a, a group time of worship and devotion, and it'll be more of a group-focused prayer. At the 8 o'clock hour, we realize some of you are just dropping off your kids at school, and uh, you've spent the first two hours of your day trying to get them ready. And so you can come in here, and it, again, it will be individualized prayers. And throughout the day, our prayer room on the third floor will be open. We're just going to say, during the next 21 days, we want you to pray. Just carve out time to pray. And you say, oh, Marty, that just doesn't work. You know, I live in... Um, in South Augusta, and it's hard for me to work the drive over here. You don't, it's not where you pray, it's the fact that you do that. In fact, Jesus said it this way, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, 
Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then what? Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Yeah, again, another verse out of context, fortune cookie style. Yeah, I mean, why don't we just get, you know, like, what, we should put Bible verses on bingo balls and you can play Bible bingo and, you know, and just, you know, just. You know, as the thing starts spitting out, uh, you know, ping pong balls with Bible verses on it, you can just preach on those particular, you know, things. It'd be fun to play, don't you think? So just find that place, that quiet place. Maybe it's driving in your car. Maybe it's walking in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your bedroom. You know, when Jesus said that, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I think about go to your room and close the door, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the bedroom, close the door, I'll go to the study and close the door, you know, something like that. But when Jesus is speaking uh, that to the, his listeners, they didn't have private bedrooms back in those days. And so when Jesus said, go close the door, it may be a supply room where they kept the feed or the tools or a few small animals. That would be the only place where there may be a door in your house. And it would be the most humble room in your property. He's teaching us that prayer is an activity of humility. Maybe you've never seen that in that scripture before, but that's what it's about. It's a, a place of humility where we humble ourselves before him. Jesus is simply saying, find that place, draw near to God. And for the next 21 days, let's covenant together and let's pray. Now, on Saturday, we're going to let you sleep in. So at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, we're going to gather here from 9 to 10 for organized, focused prayer. Some of you say, man, I cannot even imagine praying for an hour. Well, we're going to lead you through this. It's not going to be strange or weird or anything else. We will take you through the process and show you how it's done. And so... For the next 21 days, we're going to do that. But you know what else? We're going to add to that prayer a time of fasting. We believe that... By the way, there's nothing wrong with prayer and fasting. Both of these are taught clearly in Scripture. It's just weird that we're hearing about these without any biblical text to talk about them. Weird. That, that prayer connects us with God... And fasting kind of disconnects us from the world. It's about denying yourself in order to gain spiritual strength. Now, many of you grew up in traditional churches, let's say uh, Catholic churches, let's say uh, Lutheran, uh, probably Episcopalian, Methodist, and uh, you've heard about Lent. And yeah, I know something about Lutheranism, and I know something about Lent, uh-huh. And you were asked to give up something for Lent. Let me see. Anybody ever asked? Yeah, yeah that's kind of a yeah, bad theology here. This is Roman Catholic theology now. Weird. Ask you, how many of you get the concept of Lent? Let me see your hands. Okay, got more traditional folks at 9.30 than we do at 11.15. Um, but what, in that setting, preparing you for Easter, what they ask you is to give up something or Lent. Well, here's what we're doing. We're kind of taking that concept that is just very traditional and um, during the Lenten season, we're bringing it to the first part of the year. And we're saying, okay, we want you to give up something for the Lord. Not just to suffer or whatever else, but we give up something so that we can... This is, this is Roman Catholicism without the Pope. Weird. And um, refocus our energies on God. Now, when we start thinking about fasting, it's about drawing closer to God. It, it's not a requirement. It's a choice. It is just a simple thing to do. And maybe for you, you've got to figure out what God's prompting you to do. 
There's some fasting resources at the Next Step Center, also at StevensCreekChurch.com. But you're going to receive a piece of paper when you walk out the door, and on that piece of paper, it's going to have a title that says, Seven Targets of God's Blessing. And what we want you to do is to take that piece of paper. Seven Targets of God's Blessing. Okay. And I want you to write down the names of seven people that you're going to pray for over the next 21 days. Mm, so this church is like an Amway meeting. Got it. And I want to encourage you, those people that are far from God, those people that are lost, I want you to write their name down. And I want you to just pray for them. And whatever you do, don't invite them to that church because they're not going to hear the gospel. That God's blessing would come on them. You know, people in your life, that they just need the blessing of God on them. I want you to write their name down. And for the next 21 days, just pray over those seven targets of God's blessing. Some of you will be prompted to, to come forward and even take, make some of the, uh, take those names and maybe you write them on the walls, the glass walls here. As you know, every December, we clean off the glass walls and we start fresh in January and say, so we're going to pray new prayers in a new year. And we come and we write names on the walls because we want God to bless these individuals and we want God to save them. So that's our challenge. And I believe... As Don't you think if you want God to save him, you might, you know, talk about sin, Jesus' death on the cross, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, salvation by grace through faith, you know, things like that. As we move in the next 21 days, that God gets the junk out of our lives and we will become that very person that we've been created to be. God wants to change your life. Just 21 days from now, you can be the me you've always wanted to be, like Susan Boyle. He wants to change your life. Some of you have come into this room today and you've come just because it was an easy thing to do. But God has you here because he wants to speak to you. And what I want you to do is I, was, I want you to be open to his promptings and I want you to be open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, where does the Bible talk about we need to be open to God's promptings? Open to his movement. I'm telling And his movement. Telling you that the spirit of the Lord wants to energize you and wants to touch you. Just like the forest did for Yoda. This is not about some religious activity. This is about being open to the flow of God. Yeah, the, the force, the flow. Yeah. And so as we close in prayer, I just want you to say, God, have your way in my life. God, I want you to speak to me. God, I want to be a candidate. I want you to open my life up to the flow of the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. I want to get in the very central place where the Spirit can flow through me. And when we approach God with that, Just like the force flowed through Yoda. Yeah, okay. That type of attitude, I believe he will fill us up to overflowing. I'm sure you believe that, yeah. In his power and his energy. Mm. Let's all stand together. Yeah, we're done. Wow. Uh, boy. It's amazing what kind of theology you can just, you know, make whole cloth. You know, you roll your own theology and smoke it. All you got to do is play Bible bingo, you know, just take all the verses of the Bible, stick them on a ping pong ball, stick it into one of those big popcorn machines. Pop, 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 pop. And then, you know, when one of the uh, when one of the ping pong balls comes out and then you got a verse, you could just, you know, do, you know, three, four verses, that's all you need, you know, completely out of context and poof. You can create your own theology. Yeah, the me you want to be? Well, it's real simple. It takes 21 days. There's a lot of prayer and fasting involved. But the first thing you got to do is surrender. Okay, wave the white flag. Then you got to make a space for God to fill, and then you got to be intentional. That's all there is to it, and 
Blamo, 21 days later, you will be the me that you've always wanted to be. And, and for that, we expect you to tithe, not off the net, but off the gross, and to, you know, write that check and God's blessings will flow, you know, because that's how much it costs in order for you to become the me that you've always wanted to be. Complete confusion of law and gospel. That wasn't sound biblical doctrine. That was not God's word rightly preached. That was not Christianity. That was rank paganism. Uh, pretty much just hijacking some Christianish words. So, just thought I'd let you know that. Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. What a mess. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. You can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. And his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.